Hi there, I'm Sue Elvis from the blog Stories of an Unschooling Family. Welcome to my podcast. This is episode 108. And today, I want to share some stories with you. You might remember a few months ago that I was telling you a few stories from my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. Yes, I was dipping into my blog's archive, but I haven't done that for a while, and I was thinking that I would do that today. I did say that I wouldn't have a podcast this week because it is the school holidays here in New South Wales, Australia. And my school teacher husband, Andy, is at home. I anticipated that we would be very busy this week, going on outings, doing things together as a family. And I didn't think I'd have a chance to record a podcast. But here we are. All my family have gone out and they've left me at home. The girls wanted to show Andy where Sophie works. He hasn't been down to the cafe general store where she is working. So everybody has gone out, including the dogs. I'm sitting at home alone on this warm spring day. I have a free afternoon and I thought that I would share some stories with you. I wrote these stories about five years ago. So what I'm going to do is read out each story, and then if anything occurs to me while I'm reading, I might share some thoughts. The first story is called How Children Learn According to Sophie. You might know that Sophie is my 16-year-old daughter. I guess five years ago she was only 11. I wrote this post as a conversation, alternating my voice and Sophie's voice. I hope it's easy to recognize who's speaking. After the introduction, it is Sophie who speaks first. I have been pondering how children learn. So has Sophie. If you want to learn something, you have to be interested in it. Like the elephants I was reading about today. That was really interesting, and I remember so much. What happens if you're not interested? Then it all goes straight out the door. You don't absorb it. Can you learn something like the times tables, even if it's not interesting? Yes, because you can use those. So you can learn things that are needed. Yes, I use my timetables all the time. They are really useful for telling the time. The five times tables, you know. Then I use them for calculating money. Did you know you can use multiplication to do additions? And you can multiply back to front. Actually, times tables are very interesting. Interesting and needed? Yes, I didn't used to think they were interesting. It depends on how you learn them. There's some really boring ways of learning maths, like workbooks. I guess Sophie and I came to the same conclusion. Children will learn what they need to know or what they find interesting. And sometimes what they need to know actually turns out to be far more interesting than they first thought. I never pointed out the advantages of learning times tables to Sophie. She discovered those for herself. She's been doing a lot of thinking. Just like me. 
and I am thinking that I can read all the books about education I like, but I'll probably discover far more about how children learn by observing and listening to my own children. Yes, Sophie always surprises me by her observations, her thoughts, her ideas. She's always thinking. I guess kids know themselves better than anybody else. Well, at least this is what Sophie tells me. She knows what interests her. She knows what she needs to know. She knows the best way that she learns. I think so many times we have different ideas to our kids. We think they need to know certain things at certain times. But as Sophie says, if there's no interest or no need, it goes into our kids' heads and out the other side. They don't retain it. It's all a big waste of time. I remember when my eldest daughter Felicity was about nine years old. We'd been unschooling for a little while, and then I got a few different ideas, went down some other pathways, and one day I discovered these what I thought were fantastic-looking workbooks in our local bookshop. They were on the subject of grammar. I flipped through the workbook and I thought, "Oh wow, my daughter's going to learn so much from using this workbook." So I brought it home and gave it to her, and she sat down and she did a page every single day. And then one day, I flipped back through the workbook and asked her a few questions about what she had learned, and realized that she had filled in all the answers perfectly, but had retained nothing. Yes, she had filled in the pages. I marked them. She got all the answers right. She turned the page, and then she promptly forgot everything on the previous pages. A big waste of time. Sometimes I think we persist in doing things a certain way, even though we know we are wasting time. And I have been wondering why we do this. Why are we reluctant to try a different approach? Why do we stick with the same old ways when really we know they're not working? I guess filling in workbooks is neat and tidy. It's very easy to make homeschool records out of workbooks and similar assignments. It looks like our kids are learning. We can tick off some boxes. Perhaps doing things a different way is a bit scary. How are we going to prove to the education department that our kids are learning all the things that are in the school syllabus or whatever, the things that they are required to know to be registered legally as homeschoolers? Perhaps we do certain things in order to make record keeping easier. I wonder how many people would unschool. How many more people, if there was no such thing as homeschool registration, if we were free to do whatever we liked with our kids, would we still be held back by our own fears of our kids not learning what they need to know for their futures, or would we throw that aside and trust and say, "Hey, we're going to do things the way that suits our kids." We have no one looking over our shoulder. We are free. Well, we do have to keep homeschool records, quite detailed ones as well. But it hasn't stopped us unschooling. I have found a way to record all the unschooling learning experiences of my girls. I've tried to be positive about record keeping. There's always a way around things if we think about it enough. If we go looking for a way. Maybe, as I said, 
if things are important to us, we go looking for a way that will enable us to do what we want to do with our kids. But anyway, back to my stories. My second story is called Learning from My Children. My children are always eager to learn. Wow, that looks wonderful. Will you teach me to crochet too? Do you think I could make a blanket like yours? They always seem willing to have a go. They don't worry about the possibility of failing. But me? I'm an adult and I've learnt a few unfortunate adult habits. I do like to learn new things, and I attempt to gain new skills all the time. But sometimes, if someone is watching, and there's the possibility I could fail and make a fool of myself, well, maybe I don't even try. Can you serve in tennis, Mum? Will you show us how? I could serve as a child, I say, as I take the racket, throw the ball into the air, and miss by a mile. One more attempt and I give up. Was anyone watching? I creep back home, deciding tennis isn't for me. My children remain on the court and keep throwing balls and keep swinging rackets. Soon they'll be able to serve, and I guess I never will. For months... I've been watching my children draw. I haven't passed on any artistic talents to them. I didn't teach them. They just decided they'd like to draw, so I supplied materials and encouragement, and they went off and experimented. My children haven't worried about the results. If they don't like how their drawings turn out, they just do another one. With time and persistence, they have become quite skillful. I'm rather envious. Secretly, I harbour a desire to draw. I don't have any lofty ambitions. I don't yearn to be a portrait artist like my sister Vicky. I just want to have fun, experimenting with shapes and colours. I just want to doodle away solely for my own pleasure and relaxation. But I have told everyone I can't draw. I have told myself I can't draw. Really, I have been too afraid to try. Then the other day, I was thinking about how my children learn, how they just try without worrying about the results. So I thought, perhaps I could do the same. I gathered together some watercolour paper, some pencils, paints, an eraser, a sharpie permanent marker. The girls all say a sharpie marker is essential and decided to draw, just like my children. Draw? Perhaps doodle is a better word. I doodled some flowers with a pencil and then inked them with my trusty Sharpie marker, just like I'd seen my children doing. I coloured them in with some watercolour pencils. Next, I took a water-laden brush and swiped it over my doodle, and I got so excited when the colours started to flow and blend. I couldn't wait to try another doodle. I then wondered what would happen if I used watercolour paint instead of pencils. Should I paint first, or ink the doodles first? I was having a great time, and the results, though not works of art, were good enough to produce a very satisfying feeling. 
flowers look like flowers. I like the combinations of colour in my pictures. I worked out a few watercolour tricks. Soon I had the courage to show my children. Wow, Mum, did you draw that? I love the colours. Did you use paints or watercolour pencils? My drawings weren't very good, but my children were very generous with their praise and encouragement. If they'd said, what is that supposed to be? Or, I wouldn't have done it that way, Mum, and had started giving me drawing advice, I would probably have never drawn another picture again. But I returned to my desk and paints with a big smile on my face, thinking, hey, I can do this. The kids like my pictures. Since then, I have really been enjoying doodling. With time and repeated effort, my doodles may even one day turn into something worth sharing. I guess I am back to the topic of encouragement and discouragement. Yes, words can really have an important effect, especially on our inclination to learn. Do you think I should post some of my doodles on my blog? Well, maybe. Of course you should, Mum. Yes, perhaps I will. I shall be like my children. I shall say, with great excitement and confidence, Hey, look at my pictures. I had great fun doodling them. I won't think about failure, or looking foolish, or negative comments. I haven't got time for that. I'm far too busy thinking. Now, what shall I draw next? We were talking about developing our talents and learning last week as adults, so maybe that post is appropriate. I was saying last week that sometimes we have to get past the words in our heads, the ones that other people have put there, the words that say we're not very good at certain things, that we're going to be a failure. Yes, words can make a lot of difference. Do we encourage or discourage our kids? I don't think we mean to discourage kids. I think I have another post about encouragement and discouragement. Perhaps I'll discuss my thoughts after the next story. But before I leave this story, you might remember that my 13-year-old daughter, Gemma Rose, loves art. She is passionate about drawing. And ever since I bought her a huge set of Prismacolor pencils, she has been producing some wonderful works of art. She spends hours and hours on each of her drawings. I get really excited when I see my kids developing talents, especially talents that I don't have. For example, my daughter Imogen, who sings, I can't sing at all. And Jim Rose's drawings. In the story, I was talking about my doodles. Yes, they're not very good at all. But I don't think it matters whether we are good or bad at something, as long as we have fun doing it. And who knows, with a bit of practice, maybe I could get better at drawing. If I really wanted to be better, I would spend more time practicing. But I guess I have bigger passions. Yes, it'd be nice to draw, but I'm not willing to put a lot of time and effort into it. There's other things that I'd rather do. story is called Encourage or Discourage. 
Before I read this story out, I just want to say that I wrote it at a time when I was trying to become a runner. Yes, I hadn't run for years, and I was determined to run 5K. This story was written in the early days of my attempt to do that. Yesterday, I came home from my plod around the playing fields with a huge smile on my face. I had kept up with the third week of the Pod Runner Interval series. In fact, it was the second time I'd run walked the whole distance properly without giving up during the running segments. But I have to admit, I didn't do it easily. I had to keep chanting, I can do it, I can do it, while wondering if I was, in fact, going to collapse on the field and have to be carried home. Well, maybe I'm exaggerating just a bit. I can now run the two 90 seconds segments and the two 3 minute segments that are sprinkled in amongst the walking bits. That doesn't sound a lot, does it? But it certainly feels a long way to me. Last night, I had an important decision to make. Should I remain on this level until it comes easily to me? Or should I push on to the next challenge? I had a look at the run schedule for the week 4 program. There are four running segments, two lasting three minutes each and two lasting five minutes each. My heart sank and I thought, how can I go from three to five minutes? I'll never keep moving for that long. The challenge seemed too big. I mulled my problem over with my husband Andy, who reminded me, Sue, two and a half weeks ago, you weren't running any distance. You weren't even sure you could run. Now you're running almost all the way around the playing fields in one go. Almost all the way around the playing fields. That's nearly 500 metres. Or half a kilometre, if that sounds more. And he added, Don't focus on what you can't do at the moment. Think about what you can do. I know he is right. If I spend too much time thinking I can't run for a five-minute stretch then I will get discouraged. I will give up, and I will never do it. I think about how my children learn. Gemma Rose is eager to show me a story she has written. She thrusts it into my hand and stands back, feeling very pleased with herself. I start to read, and soon realize she has made a lot of spelling mistakes. Do I say, you'll have to work on your spelling, and then watch her face drop? Maybe she'll never want to write another story again. Or do I ignore what she can't do and focus on her achievements? That was a really great story. I liked how you managed to rescue the mermaid from the cave. I didn't think she was going to escape. Spelling, running, it's all the same. I have to focus on what I can do and not on what I can't. And if I get stuck at week three or week four for a long time, does it really matter? I can go at my own pace. I'll get there in the end, just like Gemma Rose will with her spelling. So this morning, as we were walking down to the park, I decided to stick with the week three program. I fiddled with my MP3 player, and soon a steady beat was pounding in my ears and a full-of-energy voice boomed out, Hi, I'm DJ Beatsmith. Welcome to week four of the Pod Runner Interval Series. Week four? I wanted week three. 
I didn't have time to change the music as Andy was already striding ahead of me, so I shrugged my shoulders and decided if I couldn't keep up, I wouldn't worry about it. So what happened? I did the three-minute runs easily and took a short walking break halfway through each of the five-minute segments. Did you hear that? I did the three-minute runs easily. That makes me smile. And tomorrow morning, I'm going out there and I'm going to do it again. There was an update to that post. At the bottom of the story, it says, I wrote this post some months ago. I didn't give up. I can now run 6K non-stop. Thank you, Andy, for your encouragement. Yes, as I said, that was about five years ago, and I'm still running. Earlier today, when I was reading this story as preparation for today's podcast, I felt really excited. I chose a few posts to read, and then I closed my computer. I got on the treadmill and did my run. I was encouraged once more by Andy's words. I think it's very easy for us to discourage our kids. We say things with the best intention. We look at spelling mistakes and we think that if we point them out to our kids, they will take notice of them and they will go away and put some extra effort in. But it never happens that way. They just want to give up. They get discouraged. It all looks too much for them. So how did Gemma Rose get on with her spelling? Well, she has been a good speller for a long time. She never did a spelling program. I never put together spelling lists for her. All she did was write. Gradually, over time, she picked up the correct spelling. There was one other thing that she did, and that was read. One day I was talking to her about spelling. I said to her, how do you know when a word isn't spelt correctly? And she said to me, Mom, I read a lot. I know what words are supposed to look like. It was obvious to her. So with lots of writing and lots of reading, I'm sure kids do pick up these skills by themselves. The other point I want to talk about is timing. I said, I can go at my own pace. I'll get there in the end, just like Gemma Rose will with her spelling. Perhaps we are too pushy as parents. We want our kids to learn to read, learn to spell, learn their times, tables, etc. at a particular age, maybe the same age as school kids. And we start to worry if they seem to be behind. But really, they're not behind. They're just doing things at a time that suits themselves. I do think that when we don't pressure kids, when we allow them to go at their own pace, they do learn with time. It doesn't really matter what age they learn. Nobody is going to remember that in the years to come. Perhaps we are just concerned because it reflects upon us as an unschooling parent. What if somebody comes along and tries to test our kids, ask them their times tables, for example, or ask them to read something, and maybe our kids won't be able to do it, and then we might start to worry because we might get criticized. People might wonder what unschooling is all about and try and put us off it. And then maybe our own fears will come to the surface again 
when we hear other people's opinions about what we're doing with our kids. Yeah, it's hard sometimes to relax and let kids do things in their own time and not listen to other people's opinions. But we can trust our kids. They will learn everything they need to know when they need to know it. The next story is called, What Do Children Need to Learn? Yes, we've been talking about how kids will learn what they need to know, but what do they need to know? Are their ideas different from ours? A couple of weeks ago, Gemma Rose thrust her feet towards me and said, Please can you lace up my shoes for me, Mum? I was busy tying my own laces, so I replied, Can't you do up your own shoes? Gemma Rose shook her head and I was aghast. My youngest daughter is eight years old, and somehow I forgot to teach her how to tie shoelaces. And then I remembered something. These were new shoes, her first pair of lace-up shoes. She's always had the Velcro fastening kind before. We were in a hurry to get out the door and down to the playing fields, so I didn't stop and demonstrate lace tying. Instead, I did them up for her myself. And apparently Imogen did them up for Gemma Rose the next day, and the next, and... Then last Monday, as we were preparing for our morning run, I said, Come over here if you want me to help you with those shoes. It's okay, Mum. I can tie them myself. But I didn't show you how. How did you learn? I asked Charlotte to tie my shoes for me after swimming on Saturday, and she didn't really want to, so she just showed me how to do it myself. Three weeks ago, Gemma Rose had no lace-tying need. She didn't own shoes with laces. Last week, she had no need. She had willing helpers to do the job for her. This week, because of need, she is now a fully qualified shoelacer-upper. The best motivation for learning is obviously need. So now Gemma Rose can tie laces. But what else have I forgotten to teach her that she should already know? And what are the essentials she needs to learn before her homeschooling education is over? How will I make sure I have everything covered? John Holt said, Since we can't know what knowledge will be most needed in the future, it is senseless to try to teach it in advance. Instead, we should try to turn out people who love learning so much and learn so well that they will be able to learn whatever needs to be learnt. I think about this. How can I possibly know what sort of world Gemma Rose will be moving into when she has grown up? The world is changing so quickly that I have no idea what it will be like in a few years' time. After graduating from university, my husband Andy worked in the same industry for 25 years, and then his job disappeared. He had the opportunity to do a postgraduate degree and study for a whole new career. And although Andy was excited at the prospect, he was a little nervous too. The world has changed so much since I last attended uni, he confided to me. We didn't even use computers when I did my last degree. 
Will I be able to cope? All of the other students will be young, and they'll be familiar with the modern way of learning. I assured Andy he'd have no problems at all. He'd soon pick up all he needed to know, and he did. He graduated in the top two percent of his year and became my dean's medalist of a husband. I was a delighted and very proud wife. Until the medal was actually placed in his hand, Andy had difficulty believing his achievement, which was rather silly. Andy is a father who loves to learn. And so he had no trouble learning what he needed to know. But back to Jim Rose, with such an unpredictable future, should I try and stuff as much knowledge into her as possible, just in case, or should I just encourage her love of learning and then trust she will learn everything she needs to know? Well, I guess you know what we're doing: encouraging her love of learning. She will learn everything she needs to know. Yes, last week I was talking about how my husband Andy went back to uni to do his masters of teaching after he was made redundant from his job. So I guess that's rather appropriate story. It leads on from last week. Stuffing in knowledge. Maybe a lot of parents feel. That we should stuff as much knowledge into our kids' heads while we have the opportunity. They've got to be prepared at the age of eighteen to go out there into the big world and to be successful. It's our role to make sure they have all the necessary knowledge. It can be a bit of a worry. What are the essentials of life? What skills do they need to know? It took me a while to realize that kids don't have to know everything at the age of eighteen. They have a whole life ahead of them to keep on learning, and they should keep on learning, just like us parents. And that's something that we were talking about last week as well. One final story to share with you this week. It's called "Remembering to Trust." Yes, trust—that essential ingredient in unschooling. Our family is problem-solving. The oven is broken, so we can't cook scones, muffins, cakes, and biscuits—all those treats we really enjoy. We talked over the problem while we ate lunch. We do have a microwave, I started to say, and then someone mentioned the donut maker, the toaster, and the sandwich toaster. We began to wonder what treats we could possibly cook using these bits of equipment. We'll do some research this afternoon, Imogen decided, and then Charlotte and I will cook something for afternoon tea. Don't forget to do your music practices as well, I said. I looked at Charlotte's face. It had dropped to the floor. I knew instantly I had said the wrong thing. Of course we'll do our music practices, she replied. Don't we always? Added Imogen. I know you don't need reminding about such things, I said. So why did I say it? When I was a child, I needed to be reminded. I wasn't self-motivated. Sometimes I forget you're different. How often do we remind children to do things? I remember a time when I reminded Jim Rose to be good for me, 
just before I went out for the day. She replied sadly, Of course I'll be good. Don't you trust me? Trust. Do we really trust our children to do what they need to do? Or do we think we'd better give them a reminder, just in case? I think about how I feel when someone reminds me I have to do something when I fully intend doing it anyway. It doesn't feel good. As an adult, I get very indignant. Should we give our children the same respect we give to adults? But what if the piano practices don't get done? Well, maybe if a child isn't self-motivated to practice, they might not want to learn the piano that much after all. I have heard stories about children who learnt the piano, but always had to be nagged into practicing. When they grew up, they thanked their poor mothers for pushing them along and making them practice. I know that feeling of nagging a child to do something. Is it really worth doing it? I feel worn out and drained when I have to constantly push a child. I also feel at odds with that child. Our relationship comes under threat. I think I'd rather say, you make the decision. If you want lessons, you need to practice. If you don't practice, maybe we should leave lessons until another time when you might feel more motivated. Because how necessary are piano lessons, or any sort of outside lessons anyway? Yes, they're a fine addition to an education, and I love to say, all my daughters play the piano. But that's satisfying my need, not my children's. Anyway, if a child changes her mind, she can always learn at a later age. It's never too late. So Imogen is practicing the piano because she wants to, and Charlotte is researching microwave cake recipes because she wants to. We want her to as well. We've been missing our regular blueberry muffins and savoury scones. All of us are looking forward to afternoon tea. And I'm trying to remember not to say the wrong thing, because really, I do trust my children. I do respect them as people. Just sometimes, I fall back into unhelpful old habits. Yes, sometimes it is hard not to repeat things that we've heard in the past, things that other people have said to us. We have to be vigilant. As I said in the story, it does hurt when people don't trust us. It does matter what we say to our kids. We don't have to say things just in case. Getting away from control, handing it over to our kids, and not making them do things just in case. It's hard to do, but certainly I think it's the right thing to do. As I was reading that story also, I remembered another music story. My eldest child, Felicity, used to have clarinet lessons. She started them when she was quite small. And then one day I noticed that she wasn't practicing. I did try to push her along. And then one day I got fed up with that because, as I said, that's hard work. I took her clarinet and I put it in the cupboard. And she didn't even notice. It was quite a long time before she came to me and said, Mom, have you seen my clarinet? And that sort of proved that she had no interest in practicing. We talked about it. Did she really want to continue learning the clarinet? She made the decision not to have any more lessons at that time. 
A couple of years later, though, she came to me one day and said, Mom, I feel ready to learn to play the clarinet. Is it possible that I could have lessons again? And I said, yes. And she went on and completed quite a few clarinet exams with good grades. She did well the second time around. I hope that you've enjoyed those few blog post stories. When I said I was no longer going to be an unschooling blogger, and perhaps I was going to give up podcasting as well, later on I thought about these blog post stories, and I thought, hey, I can't give up podcasting yet. I haven't finished turning my blog into podcasts. I don't know if I will get around to turning my whole blog into podcasts, but I would like to tell you a few more blog stories. Well, that's all for episode 108. If you would like to read those stories for yourself, I will leave some links in the show notes. You can find lots more stories in my archive on my blog, Stories of an Unschooling Family. I invite you to go and visit my blog. I would like to thank you for listening today. And until next time, don't forget to trust, respect, and love unconditionally. <music>